Dear listeners of the show Talking with Frankie, today we will continue the series of episodes on the Second Ecumenical Council of the Vatican. In the last episode, we have welcomed Dr. Josephine Lombardi, who talked about ecclesiology. As people of God, Dr. Lombardi reminds us that we are all called to holiness. She also helped us to understand how the church can contribute to a more effective response to the issues of our time. Today, in this 13th episode, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Susan Wood, the author of the book, One Baptism, Ecumenical Dimension of the Doctrine of Baptism. Dr. Wood will address the topic of ecumenism. Susan Wood, a sister of charity of Leavenworth, is very active in ecumenical work. Sister Wood is academic dean and professor of systematic theology at Regis College in the Toronto School of Theology, Canada. She received her doctorate in systematic theology from Market University. She serves on the U.S. Lutheran Roman Catholic Dialogue, the North American Roman Catholic Orthodox Theological Consultation, the International Lutheran Catholic Dialogue, and the conversation between the Baptist World Alliance and the Roman Catholic Church. She has also participated in consultation on baptism, theological anthropology, and the nature and purpose of ecumenical dialogue sponsored by faith and order of the World Council of Churches and the Joint Working Group. She served as president of the Catholic Theological Society of America from 2014 to 2015. Most of her writing explores the connection between ecclesiology and sacramental theology. Dean Susan Wood, it is really a pleasure to have you in talking with Frankie. How are you doing today? I'm very fine, thank you, Frankie. Right. Sister Susan, can you give us some introductory comments on the Deacronic Humanism, Unitatis Redintegratio? Yes. Um, the decree on ecumenism, Unitatis Redintegratio, is, is really one of three documents at Vatican II that launched the Roman Catholic Church into the ecumenical movement. The other two documents are the decree on religious freedom and also Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the church. Uh, prior to Vatican II, um, ecumenical work was somewhat suspect in the church. Uh, there was kind of a return ecumenism that was fostered, in, which was, you all come back to the Roman Catholic Church, you know, and that's not really ecumenism at all. Um, so uh, officially, the church launched into the ecumenical movement with Vatican II, and this decree uh, invoke, devoted entirely to ecumenism was um, an important part of that. What is the difference between ecumenism and interreligious dialogue? Interreligious dialogue is conversation between Christians and non-Christians, right. and the goal is mutual understanding. Ecumenical dialogue is dialogue between Christians, and the, the goal is full visible unity. What does Vatican II teach on ecumenism? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How long do you want to stay here? Um, well, it teaches that um, baptism is the foundation of our relationship as Christian churches. So this is the, the first principle, right? 
Well, it's one of the first principles, although the decree in ecumenism was a little slow in talking about it. Um, there's, an, there's a tendency to start with the Eucharist as the principle of unity, although the irony is there that we don't participate or share fully in the Eucharist with one another. So the, the, so one of the, we share baptism and we recognize one another's baptism when we're baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's a foundation. But also kind of one of the, what people don't realize is the beginning moments of ecumenism is when we get our own house in order in that uh, ecumenism starts with interior renewal of our own church. Right. Um, and when we become more faithful to the gospel, then we are more able to speak about the gospel with other churches. Was Vatican II the first and only council to engage in ecumenical dialogue? Or are there other councils that have addressed the question? No, it would be uh, regarded as the first, although there were early initiatives that were not conciliar, like there were early um, conversation with Anglicans in the 1920s. Um, there were theologians engaging right. um, unofficially in dialogue before the Second Vatican Council, but it really is, is the first. And one of the things that Vatican II did to open us to ecumenical possibilities was to recognize that there are elements of Christ's church outside the visible boundaries of the Roman Catholic Church. Right. And so that was, you know, in the dogmatic constitution of a church and was an important um, initiative. Um, actually, there was a suspicion um, about ecumenism earlier because uh, the encyclical Mortalium Animos um, actually warned Catholics against ecumenism. So there was quite a shift um, between the last part of the uh, 19th century and into the 20th century. So why do we refer to Vatican II as the second ecumenical council of the Vatican? Okay, there's two things here. First of all, right. um, the fact that the second Vatican council is called ecumenical really doesn't have anything to do with ecumenism. Um, so it's not ecumenical because it talked about ecumenism. It was ecumenical because it was a council of the whole church. Okay. But there are some people today that ask the question whether an ecumenical council is possible if you don't have full participation of other Christian churches in that council. Uh, Vatican II had observers from other Christian churches who were very important to the council. Uh, so th uh, you know, the term itself has become somewhat questioned, I, I guess, today. The, the other issue is that um, it was one of the councils, you know, you had the first seven councils of the church, which were very foundational. And then you have the Council of Trent and you have Vatican I. And Vatican II was seen as in continuity with those earlier councils which were also called ecumenical. Okay. So they, it, it, they're received by the Pope eventually, even if they're not called by the Pope in the case of the early councils. How does Vatican II invite us to a kind of practice of ecumenism, Sister Susan? 
it uh, invites us at several levels. First of all, again, to prayer for Christian unity. Secondly, it invites us to work at grassroots in terms of understanding one another. One of the things the council says is that Catholics are supposed to grasp the spirit and the Latin word it uses for that is animus. You know, what is the enlivening spirit of our dialogue partners so that we learn to see the world through their eyes and understand their culture and their way of being. So um, that's an invitation. Also um, just to, you know, have ecumenical friends um, that we understand one another when we get to know one another better. Then there are official dialogues like the dialogues I participate on. Well, I've been involved with Lutherans um, since 1993, though I've I've talked with them for a long time and I have very good Lutheran friends. Um, I think there's a lot of possibility uh, with dialogue with Lutherans because the first official results of ecumenical dialogue with churches issuing from the Reformation uh, was the um, joint um, declaration on the doctrine of justification, which was, assi- which was signed by the Catholic Church and the Lutheran World Federation on October 31st, 1999. This was the first official reception of dialogue and so it happened with Lutherans, and it was the result of 30 years of prior work that built up to that moment. Right. Um, Luther was actually quite Catholic in many ways, um, and so there's uh, some close affinities, I think, between the Catholic Church and the Lutheran ch- uh, Church. Uh, and then also, they too have a, a book of doctrine, if you will say, the Book of Concord, is a statement of what Lutherans believe in. And I think there's, um, it's easier sometimes to dialogue with groups that have written task, texts, like Catholics have written texts. It's much more, uh, I think it's easier to engage in dialogue than with a group like uh, the evangelicals when there's no one person or no one document that really speaks for, for those churches. It become dialogue is very different in those contexts. So I have a lot of hope with unity for Lutherans. Um, right. um, then um, the, the Orthodox, um, I'm on the North American Orthodox dialogue. Of course, right. one of our main issues is primacy, uh, papal primacy. That's a very difficult um, doctrine to kind of get around. One of the challenges in the Orthodox dialogue is the disunity among Orthodox themselves, which complicates dialogue at the international level. Mm -hmm. So I would say the North American dialogue, which includes Canadians as well as uh, US, um, has been very fruitful because the various groups get together much more amicably than they do at the international level. How does Vatican II help to address the complexity and diversity of the ecumenical process? It's very complicated. And there's two forces that are kind of opposite that happen together. One is 
we do resolve differences. For example, I really don't think the filioque is church dividing anymore uh, right. in terms of the doctrine of the procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father through the Son or from the Father and the Son is uh, really not the main issue with the Orthodox, but primacy is. I think um, even though we've come together on the doctrine of justification and six churches have actually now agreed with that document. So it's, it's, it's expanded since 1999 to include Methodists and Reformed and Anglicans, um, yeah. for example. Yeah. But um, at the same time, new sources of division keep arising, such as women's ordination or some of the moral issues. That's a big issue, right? Yes, it is. It is, yeah. especially for Reformation churches. And so I think at that point, um, you just keep working on your theology of ministry, and then you leave aside the question of who is actually ordained. So you can still arrive at common, common ground um, before you get there, get to the dividing issue. Sister Susan, how can one imagine the future of ecumenism? I'm actually um, very positive about it. Um, some people talk about an ec ecumenical winter and, yeah. and say that there's no possibility for it. I think at some point we will have great opening. I think Pope Francis is very um, positive towards ecumenism. Dialogue right. is one of his major themes. Um, he's engaged in grand, what I call grand ecumenical gestures. For right. example, he visited the Lutheran church in Rome and gave them a present of a chalice. You don't present somebody with a chalice, chalice if you don't have positive evaluation of what they do with a chalice, exactly. yeah. you know, in terms of the liturgy. He's asked evangelicals to pray over him. That was very controversial, even in the evangelical community when he did that. So I think there's a lot of hope to be had. What we have to realize is in a secular world, conversation with non-Christians, Christians really need to get their act together and to come together in unity if they're going to be credible in an atheist uh, multi-religious world. And that's really what started the ecumenical movement in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, when Protestant churches found that their disunity was impeding their preaching of the gospel. What we share in common is much more than what divides us. I believe and, that. Yes. Thank you so much, Sister Susan. Any final comments? Oh, we've only scratched the surface, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think ecumenism is a vocation, not just for individual theologians like myself, but it's a vocation of the whole church, that as a church, we are called to unity. I would end with saying that ecumenism was really one of the reasons why the Second Vatican Council was even called. Uh, Pope John XXIII mentioned that in his opening address to the council. Paul VI reiterated it in his um, address uh, when he uh, took over between the first and second sessions of the council. And the very first document 
to come out of the council was the decree on the liturgy. Right. And its very first paragraph mentions ecumenism okay. and Christian unity. So the very first paragraph that came from the council mentioned it. So um, it's not frosting on the cake. It's not an add-on, but is essential to the Christian mission. I agree. Well, uh, thank you, Sister Susan Wood, for accepting my invitation. I'm pleased to announce a special guest for the next episode. We'll receive His Eminence Thomas Cardinal Collins uh, to talk about the role of the bishops according to the logic of Vatican II. So we'll continue discussing the main subject of the Second Ecumenical Council of the Vatican. Please stay tuned. You can subscribe to Talking with Frankie on Spotify, iTunes Music, Southernlight.org, and our Facebook page, Talking with Frankie. Many blessings. Bye-bye.